Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of the Chronic Fatigue and Burnout Recovery Podcast. This episode today is the third episode in the series I've been doing on chronic pain. And so if you haven't already listened to the previous two episodes, I'd recommend you go and listen to those. But this episode is going to be very exciting because you don't only have to listen to the sound of my voice, you get to listen to the wonderful South African accent of Brendan Turner, my my fellow countryman, um, who is going to talk a little bit about pain in the context of functional patterns, which you may not know anything about at this point in time. I'm not even really going to try and explain it because Brendan will do that excellently, I'm sure. But this is very much about looking at our movement, our movement patterns and the quality of of how we move as human beings and how that can be a big influencer on the pain that we experience day to day. It's something that I'm personally only just exploring myself with some of the niggling pain issues that I still have on my journey. Um, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that. But for now, welcome, Brendan. Thank thank you you so much for being here. And um, do you want to start off just by telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, thanks, Anna. Um, So obviously, my name is Brendan, and I'm a functional patterns practitioner. I was in the world of fitness for a, a, a while or have been in the world of fitness and sport for a long time. Um, I got qualified as a personal trainer back about nearly 10 years ago now. Um, and it's been a, an interesting journey ever since. Uh, most recently in the last few years, I've been working um, exclusively as a biomechanics uh, practitioner with functional patterns methods. Um, and functional patterns is a uh, an established company in America and their sort of programmings or their programs and their methodologies are are rolling out worldwide in courses around the world um, and are still yet to be accredited um, in certain countries. So in America, I, I know that there's uh, more accreditation um, in the UK. It's, it's not well heard of yet, um, but I think it will be something that a lot of people will hear about in the coming years. I think so, for sure. Um, I wonder if it's okay if I just say, actually, I found out about functional patterns through someone on my Instagram community. It was actually a, a previous client of mine who's South African, now living in Spain. And she just mm-hmm. sent me a random message on Instagram one day just saying, Anna, I've been doing this thing and I think you need to know about it. And she just said it had helped her so much. And I started following the main functional patterns, Instagram page. Mm -hmm. And then I know you because you are the husband of one of my previous clients as well. And then I just saw on social media that this was something that, that you were doing. And yeah, we've, we've been in conversation and um, I'm going to be doing some work with you. I'm really interested to see how all of that pans out. But mm. I kind of think that sort of looking around after my um, previous client had told me about it and looking around and seeing what opportunities were available here in the UK, there wasn't a lot. But I think it's kind of going to be like CrossFit <laughs> in that it's going <laughs> to start really, really small and then yeah. it's just going to become really, really big, I think at least. I, I hope so. I, I hope it doesn't come with the elements of CrossFit that are <laughs> breaking exploded. people. <laughs> yeah. So so that's the the thing that drew me to functional patterns was the negative rate of 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 injury, um, which uh I talk about sometimes in in on Instagram and um on my mailing list as well. It's sort of like a most people 
will get into fitness at some point and, and experience an injury without a shadow of a doubt. There'll be something that'll crop up. And there there's a negative rate of of injury in in the business of being a, a functional patterns practitioner sure you'll have people who might have existing issues have maybe flare-ups and things that that come as a combination of you looking at um how how they're moving but all in all it, it is astounding to see how many people have been helped with the, the functional patterns methodologies now to give you everyone a bit of context because i think that that's probably everyone's like hearing functional patterns and biomechanics and they're going to like what the hell does any of that mean essentially when when i started in the industry paul check was was someone i followed quite closely and i'm not sure if you've come across his work but i'm sure you must have yeah um, he's one of like the ogs of the the fitness industry world isn't he yeah and and he was very much i mean i've got his book um how to eat move and be healthy there which is like i reference that all the time with clients um because there's there's so many concepts and and things in there that really can help people so much and i was looking at doing that or i was looking at doing the functional patterns qualification um later in my career and it was a choice in about 2016 i was like which one am i going to go down um, the road of, and I, I, I favored Paul Check just from his his knowledge base and and how much he he trained and and knew. So a lot of my training for my clients at the time revolved around the primal pattern movements or the primal uh, movements of push, pull, bend, hinge, lunge, all that stuff. And I was like, this is you know amazing. You can program people and give them such great results and give them great workouts. But when I got into functional patterns it kind of blew that all out the water for me. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I've we've all missed a big element of human nature. And so what Naudi Aguilar, who's the, the founder of Functional Patterns did, was he sort of dissected those primal movements and said, hang on, before we even start to squat, start to lunge, we start to deadlift or, or do whatever we want to do, like, what is the main function of a human? And he probably sat pondering that question for a long time. Um, and if you if you were to just watch humans in their daily life, you'd notice that we stand around a lot, we walk a lot. A lot of people run for recreation these days, uh, not not as a mode of transportation anymore. Let's say, I mean, there might be some people out there still running to work. You never know. But you know, if you think about it, those three things, and maybe throwing, if if you were looking at a more tribal um, or anthropological approach those four things would be really fundamental in in how the human body has been designed so when you start to then think that the integration of those concepts and, and improving in those areas of your life can come into your training then you start to really um, see people thrive it is, is my experience because you're you're looking at how the muscles work together as opposed to in isolation so that's kind of a, a little overview. I mean, I could go way more in depth and I'm sure that we'll come to something like that. But yeah, that, that hopefully gives people a bit of context into where I come from. Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, and I'm, I'm going to ask you in a moment to share your personal story because I think that will be super interesting for people to hear about. But I just also want to, before I do that, bring that back to like my target audience or the, the people who generally listen to this podcast. I think there's such a range of, people actually, but um, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast have maybe come from a place of not being very mobile at all, or the mm -hmm. most movement they can do is walking. 
And um, my understanding from what you've just shared is that if we can get people moving in a way that their day-to-day lives, their activities of daily living and their walking is more optimal, that's probably going to be something that's really helpful in terms of the trajectory of their illness recovery or fatigue recovery, because they're less inflamed, they're using less energy to do the things that they're doing because their whole system is just optimized. Is is that a fair understanding? Yeah. So let's say, uh, for example, that um, I mean that's that's pretty pretty spot on. And and the way that I like to try and explain this is is that if you're I, I normally have an app that I use with clients to show them this, but but you're just going to have to visualize it. Um, so imagine seeing the human body and pulling back a layer of the skin, and then seeing the muscles, and then or the, and the fascia. So you know, muscles are the things that help move the limbs, um, and the fascia is kind of like an interwoven web of connective tissue, and we have lines that run throughout our body. Now those fascial lines and those muscles will adopt positions over time and your muscles essentially are your your best pulley system in the world they they create movement so if your muscles and your fascia are distorted or dysfunctional your body will interpret that information maybe as pain maybe as fatigue or maybe as an element of discomfort and then the nervous system then becomes the the battering ram essentially so your nerves that integrate into all your muscles and and your fascia and run through your entire body could be severely affected by a pattern of movement for example so let's say i always hunch my shoulders round which is my 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 main problem anyway you know i've got a very rounded spine and a very barrel chest torso chest um so how does my body then cope with the the stresses of everyday life and then me trying to train in the gym, how does it cope with that? And how does that stress response then play out in in everyday life? And so, you know, it goes deep, but it's so entry level as well, because it doesn't, you don't have to be running to improve your running. You don't have to be walking to improve your walking as you'll probably experience in the coming weeks and months. I'm so excited. (laughs) It's about actually dialing back, like movement is made up of tiny little movements, right? Big movements are made of tiny little movements. And so when you look at those little movements and you refine how good you are in those little movements, the bigger movements take care of themselves. Yeah, I love that. And and, and I feel like we're jumping 10 paces ahead, but just to say, I think that's so <laughs> empowering for people who are coming from this chronic illness, chronic fatigue recovery standpoint, but they don't have mm. capacity for a lot. And just understanding that they can start with things which are really small and improve their biomechanics and their fascia and all those different things that you've spoken about. And mm. that's going to prepare them for the bigger things that, that are they want to achieve in their timeline. Yeah, it's it's deep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, I'm jumping a million paces ahead. So let's take a step cool. back and um, tell us about your story with chronic pain. Okay, um, it's a loaded question. And I'm going to... You can take of... as much time as you want. Yeah. So, I mean, when we've spoken before, because I, I was, um, you kindly interviewed me before, didn't you, on a previous podcast you were working with uh, someone on. And um, my journey into sort of, I, I've always been a keen golfer and I've always been into cricket. So I've, I've played sport my entire life. And my main goal was to get into an American university on a scholarship for golf. 
and I had always had weight problems. So, you know, I was either really big or really on it with my diet and never sort of <laughs> found a middle ground growing up. So I had a lot of issues that way. And I lost weight, gained weight over time. And then my most sort of recent weight gain was in uh, about 2008, between 2008 and 2012. Um, and, uh, I kind of, I, I failed out of university. I, I got kicked off the golf team essentially, um, for not really behaving myself very well. And I kind of spiraled into a bit of depression, got into all sorts of stupid things, um, and, and did a job that I didn't really enjoy and ended up putting on about 10 stone in weight. And at that point I was just like, ah, oh, you know, I'm just hell bent on not caring about myself. And then I, I got to a point where. I was I was out for a holiday. I was on a, a break away with some family and friends, and I just couldn't do stuff. You know, I just couldn't walk very well. Like I was wheezing. I, I was smoking a lot at the time. You know, and, and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, I realized at that moment that I was either going to die really young, or I was going to have to do some serious work in in changing my habits and and changing my behaviors. And so that's what kind of catapulted me down the road of getting healthier. And in the process, I became a trainer and started working with people in the gym. And there's this, a meme that kicks around the internet at the moment, which is quite funny. It's like a picture of someone starting their fitness journey and like, yay, I'm so happy I'm going on my fitness journey. And then they kind of get sucked into the world of fitness and then it kind of can consume people. It, you get addicted to the process and you kind of love that feel good, rah, you know, I've just smashed my body to bits and I feel amazing um, kind of workout. And I, That was like know, my whole 20s. <laughs> yeah. And and so so then I was like, wow, this is crazy. I can push my heart rate up this high. I can, I can run, I can jump, I can do everything. And over time, what I noticed was that I just kept getting injuries. It started with my like my my sciatica. I, I started getting sciatica, and then I was like, "Oh, okay," and that led me into release work. And I was like, "Oh, okay." So I figured out how to release the sciatic, you know, the the issues with my sciatica. I actually had a client with sciatica at the time, so I was diving into a whole bunch of stuff on there, and we got him fixed. So he didn't need surgery, and it was great. And I was like, "Oh, I've got no more sciatica. I'm just going to hammer myself again." And so I went down this this rabbit hole, and then just about I would say a month or so before um, COVID, I was in the gym training, and I'd had quite a stressful period of my life at that point. Um, there was some family stuff going on at the time that was really kind of weighing heavy on my mind, and there was I was I was in a new job, so I'd quit the commercial space, and I was starting Raw Motion Fitness as a brand on its own, and I kind of. I started training like religiously every day and doing a fitness test every week. And do you and think that was just kind of sort of a certain some sort of control over your life at the 100%. time that it felt out of control? Hundred yeah, percent. I, 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 there were. I was at a point in my relationship with my now wife where we were at that point where we'd been together for a long time, and you know she had um, two lovely children and. You know, it was my, I had to make a decision kind of in my own mind, not because she'd asked me or anything. There was no pressure on her, on her front, but it was kind of like, am I in this for the long haul or do we need to kind of not 
waste each other's time, you know, that sort of thing. And that's how my head was was thinking, Kate, if you're listening to this, I'm so sorry if you're founding that out for the first time, but <laughs> well, we're married now, so it's all good. Um, we know how it ended. It ended well. So so there's there's that element. And then, you know, the family stuff that was going on and and I'd started this new job and money was not in a, I was not in a good place with money. And so I was kind of just using exercise as an outlet really of, of dealing with the stress. And then Kate was with me on the day that I trained um, with her and, and we were doing some squats and I was on the squat rack and it was just too heavy for me. That was the bottom line. And, and I just pushed my way through the reps and got to the end. And I was like, oh, that was not good. I shouldn't have done that. And then carried on with the rest of the workout, got home and had, you know, I, I found blood in my sperm essentially is, is what happened. And I freaked um, Kate didn't know. And I was just like, what the hell is going on here? And for the rest of the night, I just could not sit. I couldn't stand. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. I was lying on the floor, um, on my stomach in the end with a pillow wedged underneath my hips. And it was just, I was just in so much pain. And so I phoned the doctor the next day. And that's when I started, um, my journey of three years of, of that, that pain. And I mean, there's more detail to that, <laughs> which I can go into, um, but I, I must warn people that I I can talk about it freely and I'm cool to do that. But for some people, they're like, oh, wow, why are you sharing so much information? I so, love yeah. it when people go deep. <laughs> so okay, I'm very cool. happy so, for you to share um, just re- being respectful of your time as well. Uh, you know, no, we've got no. loads to talk about. So if you do need to leave <laughs> early today. No, I've got nothing on. I've got nothing on for the rest of the day. So we're good. We're good. Um, So essentially, I went to the doctor and I was like, I'm in so much pain. I can't walk. Like, I literally walking was the most painful thing in the world because, you know, it was just impact. And, um, and he, he basically said, well, pull your pants down. Let's have a look. And so he had a look at whatever, you know, I don't know what he was looking at really because I was just like, it hurts everywhere downstairs. Um, Can you, tell me what's going on. And he was like, look, it's likely just an infection in the sort of um, tubes that lead to your uh, testicles. So what we'll do is we'll put you on a course of antibiotics and hopefully, you know, within seven days, it'll clear up. But if you're still in pain in seven days, just come back. Um, By day seven, I was, I couldn't move. Like I literally was like lying on the sofa, canceled all my clients off the week. And I was like, "I, I can't move. And I went back in and he said, oh, we'll change your dose of antibiotics, give you something a bit stronger. And we'll give you like naproxen and cocodamol to not, in, not together, but separately to ease the suffering. And I was like, okay. I was like, is this going to go away? And he said, look, if it doesn't go away, just go to A&E. And he said, but you should be clear in three days. And I was like, cool. So I waited for three days. And it was just intense. And the only way I can describe the pain was it was like someone had a hot poker and they were just stabbing me in the perineum, which is between my my bum and my testicles, basically. And it was just there. And it felt like I was sitting on a, a golf ball the entire time right there. And I had problems urinating. I, I didn't have an erection for the whole week. I mean, you know, normally... Every, there's no problem in that department. And I was just like, I just couldn't believe what was happening. And um, at that point, I was like, right, okay, cool. I'm, I'm going to go to the hospital. So I drove myself there. 
and on the TV in the hospital waiting room was all this stuff about, you know, China getting locked down. And, and I was just sat there like, I just need someone to take the pain away. I just need, um, I had a prostate exam and they kind of went back on what the initial doctor had said and just said, look, go back on the, the pills you were on, um, ciprofloxin, I think it was, which is an antibiotic and um, do a longer course. Um, here are some painkillers. You've got chronic prostatitis. And I said, okay, I've had like two weeks by this point of Googling <laughs> what's going on. And I'm telling you right now, it's not a bacterial infection because they kept looking for my blood work and they're like, your blood works fine, but we don't understand why you've got this infection. And I'm like, it's non-infection. So yeah, I kind of got to that point where I'd seen two urologists, um, had two prostate exams, had three different sets of blood work done. And basically no one could answer the question, which was in my mind, which was if I've overloaded my pelvis in a training um, environment and I've hurt my pelvic floor, have I ruptured the pelvic floor by doing any of, of the exercises? And no one could answer that question. And so the internet became my best friend, um, which is a dangerous game. And I don't yeah, recommend Yeah, it's a blessing that. and a curse. <laughs> yeah, I don't recommend it. But um, I just came across so many men who were in this position of like, they didn't know what was going on. There was no conclusive evidence to suggest an infection. And they kept getting given the same drugs that I was being given. Um, and there's actually four types of prostatitis. There's a um, chronic prostatitis, which is essentially chronic pelvic pain syndrome. Um, there's chronic bacterial prostatitis. And there's asymptomatic inflammatory prostatitis. And then there's acute bacterial prostatitis. And the men that I was coming into contact with all had varying degrees of, of whichever one and not all at the same time. Some had had nothing and then a flare-up. And then 10 years later, they had another flare-up. And so essentially, your prostate is unhappy, your prostate isn't doing well, but the reasons that it's not doing well and, and the ways to fix it can vary, essentially. And until now, that well, I mean, I say this, um, there is no cure for this. It's not a, you know, you will get better. Um, it's a management sort of process. However, that led me to functional patterns because it was the only other option out there for me. I'd been to physios, doctors, I'd been everywhere and no one could kind of either backtrack why it had happened nor figure out what to do going forwards other than just easing the pain. So what I got to after physio was probably most days an average of about five out of 10 on a pain level. Which is still a um, lot of pain. Which is a lot of pain. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was the best I could get. So it was kind of like waking up feeling good and then thinking, right, I'm going to go and do the things I want to do, train or, you know, go for a, a run or maybe be intimate. And then it would spiral. And that would just, I would either be, if I managed it with painkillers kill, pain and some stretching, I'd be at a five. If I didn't manage it with any painkillers and stretching, 10 out of 10, end of the night, I'm like doubled over and I, I'm just like, I need to go to bed and switch my brain off. And so that that went on for about a year before I found functional patterns. And that and was how did you find functional patterns? Is it just going down like a bit of a rabbit hole looking for answers? Um 
it was there was no one out there who'd who'd experienced pelvic pain relief specifically from functional patterns, but there was um, a lot of work on posture. And what my understanding of my own body was telling me was that, you know, like when I was about, and this may or may not be a contributing factor, by the way, when I was about 11 or 12, I was running on a um, tiled floor outside a, a swimming pool, someone's house, and it had just rained. And this was back in Zimbabwe when I lived in Zimbabwe. And I ran along the front of this house and we, I slipped and I flew like horizontally with my face. I remember it vividly. I remember seeing the stars in the sky because the, the clouds had gone, the rain had been, it was a thunderstorm. And I remember looking up going, uh-oh, and then landing on my coccyx and just smashing my coccyx to bits. And for like over two weeks, I remember having issues with it because it was broken essentially. And so ever since then, my back and my my torso, I, I sort of ended up in this kyphotic position where my back was very rounded and shoulders very rounded. And then you add golf onto that, carrying a golf bag and playing golf. is Golf is a very asymmetrical game. You know, it's, it's very one-sided. So essentially you had a, a chap with weight distribution problems, weight issues with a crooked spine, trying to rotate his spine in one direction on a permanent basis. And so what we managed to uncover with the biomechanics side of things, and this is just by my own deductions and working with a practitioner, is that my left hip and my left rib cage, they work in a dysfunctional manner to how I should. And so when I was at the bottom of that squat, driving up in a in a what I believed was a 50-50 pattern was actually me trying to spiral out of the the squat with quite a heavy weight and the tipping point or the the sort of junction of impact tend was was left hip left pelvic floor and prostate so essentially it kind of all got compressed and that's as far as I've managed to deduce now functional patterns was the answer from a postural perspective. So I didn't actually expect that I didn't get into functional patterns thinking I'm going to become like, you know, my pelvis is going to be fixed. I was like, look, this is the only thing I haven't tried and my posture is horrendous. So let's deal with that and see what happens. And, you know, it's, it's, it's made, you know, it's changed my life, honestly. And to kind of quantify that change, I'm, I'm sure there's some changes that you just cannot quantify, but you were talking about that five out of 10 with management, 10 out of 10 with no management. Where are you now day to day? Day to day, most days is like a zero, maybe a one. If I have anything, it's because of current positioning. So there are things that I've had to kind of adjust in my lifestyle. Um, one is how I position my body day to day, how I sleep. Um, I know that sounds crazy because sleep is an unconscious thing, but if it you, impacts the body, yeah, you know it. How you know being mindful when I go to sleep of of how my body is positioned. I mean, I'm a bit of a nerd and a geek when it comes to this. So for me, I'm like taking it to the nth degree. Okay, how far can we go with this? Um, and and what you realize is that habitually we get into the positions with our bodies and, and put ourselves through things each day that we don't really think about until we have to think about them. And that could be on a dietary level. It could be on a, on a, a postural level. It could be on a sort of movement level. In your case, it was fatigue, right? So, you know, 
you're in this position where you're like, why am I so tired? <laughs> you know, essentially, um, I'm just exhausted. And your body's trying to figure it out. And you need to to kind of, you have to learn about it. Otherwise, you, you can manage. And I could probably have lived quite happily at a five out of 10, but I would have had to make adjustments to my lifestyle, i.e. no more running and no more being that able-bodied human, just being the guy who kind of wraps himself up in cotton wool and doesn't go and do stuff because he's worried about having a flare-up. Yeah, that's what I call with like um, people who sort of like build themselves a cage with their healing is they have practices which help them manage where they are, but there's mm. there's actually not that deeper healing taking place. So you kind of just are in this little box and you can only yeah. move so far until you come up against the edges and then you have mm. these limitations. Whereas I think that wasn't good enough for you. You wanted to, you know, expand your capacity and be able to do more. Um, and I, I kind of feel like our personalities are very similar. I'm also a bit of a geek and I'm also a little bit like, okay, like how far can we take this? What are the other, mm. like if we can optimize like everything and get the most out of like, you know, how can I get the most out of my body so that I can perform at a really, really high level, like physically and um, mentally. Um, you know, that's what I want to do, which is, which is why I reached out to you and I'm going to start working with you soon. Yeah, no, no. I mean, it, it is a, a rabbit hole in some respects, but equally because like functional patterns run a 10 week online course and they have various practitioner qualifications around the world. And then the practitioners are kind of like the, the emissaries of this sort of message, as it were. Um, and, and it's our job to kind of parlay this information to the public. Now, there's two ways in which um, I think of this. It's like, well, you can kind of bombard people with terminology and information and, it, and hope that some of it sticks. Um, and in my experience, what you end up with in that respect is you end up with a, a crop of humans who are aware and able to comprehend that. And then you you end up with a, another set of human beings who just, they're not ready for it. They haven't got the capacity for it. They're, they're not quite sure, like, why do I need to learn the terminology around movement? And why is that important? And it's like, well, actually, it has huge relevance in terms of knowing your space, knowing how you manage your body in space. Because if you know that, for example, an anterior pelvic tilt causes lower back pain for you, well, then you know that making sure that during the day you've got a more neutral pelvis position is going to help you. Now, for some people, anterior pelvic tilt, they're gone. They're like, what does that even mean? It's like, well, if you look like Donald Duck, you're going to probably have a lower back problem. But if you look a bit more neutral, um, then you're probably not going to have a lower back problem. But you can't just tell your body to position itself and then wait for it to catch up. There are ways in which you can stimulate a much quicker process for that to happen. And, and it's fascinating to see when you see someone who within like one session can literally get back a year of their life and you're like, that's powerful, that is. Yeah, there's some incredible um, uh, case studies on the Functional Patterns Instagram profile. And I know you've that's got some insane. great results as well with the clients that you're working with. I've seen some before and afters and it's mm. it's just amazing the transformation and these are these are people with like cerebral palsy and multiple yeah. sclerosis and people who, who've had strokes and yeah. it's it's just that's why I really wanted to get you on this show because it's not just for the people who want to be badass <laughs> it's also just for those people who 
yeah. are really coming up against some chronic lifelong challenges who yeah. who want to improve their their overall day to day quality of life. Yeah, I mean it's it's insane. I it just gives me goosebumps thinking about it. But like that the the, the latest one that's come through is is that cerebral palsy chap. And it just absolutely, I mean, I, I was like almost crying. It was just so good to see. And it's like, now I know as a practitioner, how much, how much time he will have put into that process and the things that he would have had to have done to do it. But my goodness, if it means you get your entire life back um, to a point at which you can, you can live happily and, and, and sort of, let's say function on a, on a level where you're not just in you're not deemed that chronically ill person my goodness would you not would you not just jump at the opportunity right um it's it's crazy it just blows my mind and that's that's what kept me in the industry really because i think with the chronic pain i got to a point where i was like i just need to get through the day and at that point i was like should i really be carrying this on you know maybe i should just stop and and find something a little less stressful um, because you know, training people and and helping people with their own issues can be a very time and energy taking experience. You know, um, yeah, can second that. <laughs> yeah, and and it it can it can really zap you. And and if you're not ready for it, or if you're not in the right place for it, you you can end up not liking it at all. And then and you just have burning to... out completely, irrespective yeah. of the the, the chronic yeah. pain that's already there definitely um so yeah i mean that that's kind of how how i got into it really it was sort of hey and 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 to be honest the best changes in my life have always come from me experimenting on myself in a way you know what i mean it's like wow this is insane i mean you know if if i can do that if i could lose the weight you know that's what i keep thinking to myself like if if i can do this then you sure as hell can like anyone else can cuz you know i wasn't I wasn't an elite athlete. I wasn't, you know, a Tiger Woods golfer. I was very, very lower than average college player. Like I wasn't really that special. I just liked the game and I really wanted to take it as far as I could. And it didn't really work. And so there's a lot of average about me. And I'm like, average, you know, and and we talk about that as like putting people in a box, right? You're average, you're above average. But in, in reality, like on a genetic level, I'm so far away from a genetic specimen. So if I can change my structure and my physique to a point where I can like function really well, then someone with better genetics than me or someone with, you know, a, a better situation could be like streets ahead. Might just be the missing piece of a puzzle for some people, you know. Um, and equally, how far can people come if they feel like that everything's stacked against them and you prove to them that actually it's possible? Like you see someone who can barely walk then start running on a treadmill you're like how did that like how did that happen that's insane you know um and that's what brings me back which is cool yeah i, I feel like you've found your definitely found your calling with this and this is like work that will bring you such a huge sense of purpose and mm. fulfillment lifelong as you say like the missing piece of the puzzle for you in your career yeah it 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 is and and when i went to the um qualification because i did the 10 week online course uh, is a prerequisite to the first level qualification as a biomechanics uh, practitioner um it's called the human foundations course and i went there and and the only thing that came with that was an email saying you're going to need to drink a lot of water and don't be late 
was basically the thing. It was like nothing else. It was like no mention of food or anything. And you like you spent a lot of money on this, right? And you normally, I'm used to going to like events where you've you've spent that equivalent account of money, and you're getting lunch, and people are chatting, and da 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 da. And there's like, we'll take care of you. And with this, it was you showing up, and you're going to get a download of information that is going to basically change the way your brain functions for the rest of your life. Just bring water so that you stay hydrated because all your fascia and your muscles are going to change. And that was it. Three days of just standing in a room with, with 40 different people working on people's mechanics and figuring out what the hell's going on. So yeah. as a fellow geek, that sounds so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally, I messaged Kate at the time and I was like, I have found my people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think they would be my people too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was it was insane. And you know, like it was it was hard, don't get me wrong. Um it was it was a v- very challenging experience. And and the practitioner who ran the actual training was a, a practitioner called Sol Patini and she's been with um functional patterns since almost day 1 I would say. She's been like a uh, like an avid um trainer and and follower of Naudi and she stood in the front of like 40 people and did a register so it was no like, hi guys, welcome to it. It was just, Are there's a register. Okay, who's here? If you're not on this list, you need to get out now. And I was like, whoa, okay. And then she stood there and she said, whatever you are and whoever you are and whatever your strengths are and whatever your weaknesses are, you need to do the opposite over the next three days. She said, if you're the kind of person who sits in the back and never says anything, I want you to be the first person up for a demonstration. And if you're the kind of person who can't stop talking, maybe you just need to keep quiet for a bit. And I was just like, cool, I'm down with this. And then she called, she said, who's the the first volunteer? And I looked around the room. I did like a little scouting and I was like, no one's got a spine like mine in this room. There was one guy who who was who was quite big, but he didn't have the, the spine that I had. And I just said me. And she just said, okay, take off your shirt, come and stand in the middle and we're going to put you in the right posture. And I'm not saying people have to do this, by the way. This is not how, this is just how the training went as for, for practitioners, because there are people out there going to be, oh my God, is this what happens? But the, the thing that, that I learned from that experience was if you're, if you're too indirect with people when it comes to being their coach or being their practitioner and you don't set the boundaries, you, you don't get the right result. And that could be in a session setting. Um, that could be in a, a, you know, over the internet session or whatever it is, you have to set that parameter and say, listen, we're here to fix this. And you're going to have to listen to exactly what I say to get you to that point. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And if I say to you, move your shoulder forward by two inches, that's what I need you to do. And I need you to do it real slow because that could be the key to to you having um, no pain, essentially. I love that. I think in uh, it's 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 a difficult um balance sometimes I'm thinking of my own work because being trauma trained there is like a softness to like how I handle people but I think sometimes yeah. you do like especially more recently with clients I've just had to say like unless you're going to do this we can't move forward and I think mm. sometimes that directness is just so important um and people need to hear it. It is. I think people will end up in a situation where, um, and this was certainly the case when I was sort of trying to find a group of of men who 
you know, who had some success. And the Facebook group that I was in actually shut down because the owner of the group couldn't take it anymore. He was like, there's no success stories. Everyone just comes on here and has a whinge. And Which are the worst groups to hang out in. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, yeah, fair play. And then he said, look, if one of you guys wants to shoulder the responsibility, I'll hand the reins over. And I said to Kate, I was like, should I do this? Because I'm I'm the one seeing results, you know, with what I'm doing. But I don't want the responsibility of that because to change the behavior of a group of people is hard work. And to be direct, it would have been a case of of saying, guys, stop looking to to have someone click their fingers and give you a solution straight away. The solution will come when you you start to explore, you know, what's actually going on in your life, not in Joe Bloggs's life or, you know, Sally's life or whatever it is, because we are all different structures, different humans, and we all have different behaviors every single day. And and that kind of thing, you know, I think is incredible because it, it goes from being, you know, I, I was in the industry where like fitness is very much, you can sell a, a program that's quite generic and, you know, that could be your job as a trainer. And I've been there. I've, I've made programs for people that are quite generic and, and tailored them specifically for them at the time, but it only gets you so far, right? And being, as I'm sure you're aware, I mean, I noticed you shared about doing um, client work with blood blood work and stuff. You're, you're going in to look at that information because you, you can't say to someone who's dealing with fatigue that um, this is not right, or this is this level is not right, or this level is not right as a blanket, because someone might have, you know, for example, they might have like low testosterone or varying degrees of hormonal imbalances, and you're like, you can't just blanket people. Absolutely um, not, especially I think when you get down to the nitty gritty of complex conditions like pain and pain syndromes and fatigue mm. and fatigue syndromes. It's um, there are so many different mechanisms involved. I'm thinking like biochemical mechanisms within the body. You're thinking mechanical mechanisms of fascia, but either way, it's the same story. Um, mm. You know, it's about the um, specificity and the personalization and the, the the moving your shoulder two inches or giving yeah. your blood sugar in that slightly narrower range and those things make a big difference mm. or can make a big difference yeah and and so i don't know if i shared did i share that podcast with you the the jack cruz one i don't know I, if i did i can't remember there so, was one you shared with me yeah so andrew huberman is doing the rounds on on the internet at the moment um who i'm sure you've heard of or listened to yeah i listen um, to his podcast quite a lot it's a good one and when I when I came into functional patterns, I was listening to, to Andrew Huberman quite a bit. I was listening to Joe Rogan quite a lot as well. And when I started to listen to some of the people that were recommended in the functional patterns community, I, I really realized that actually there's there's a well there's a lot of information out there, and it's discerning that information. But the one thing that Jack Cruz came to me with, like in my own mind, was was the idea of um, nourishing sunlight. Um, things like that. And when, if I haven't shared that podcast, I will. It's uh, Rick Rubin Tetragrammon, I think it is. And it's a two-part episode with D Dr. Jack Cruz and Dr. Andrew Huberman. And they are talking and sharing and, and creating a dialogue around some of the, the fallacies out there, some of the things that are quite common to believe right now, but then actually there's a deeper level to it. 
and it was it's just incredible it's just it blows your mind um it's quite technical and quite in depth but the one thing jack cruz says every now and then on his instagram or whatever it is is you can change the genetic your genetic makeup by just a single thought and it was like man <laughs> i don't i don't want to go into the, the the blog articles as to how that you know how he unpacks that and how he justifies that statement but um i think it'll blow my mind but but just to have that kind of thinking it's like well actually yeah i thought that for at least a year i was incurable but then i thought well hang on a second there must be an answer here and then i figured out that oh my left hip is hiked my ribs are rotated to the left and every time i walk i'm pinching my entire body in a certain way and the the, the punching bag is my pelvic floor and i'm like ah okay cool so now i can set about a motion of events to untrain that behavior in my physiology so that my muscles and my fascia start to learn a better behavior with them uh with themselves and it's like well what are the things that i need to then reduce or take out of my life so you talk about um elimination um for diet right so you're having a reaction to gluten you take out the gluten or the you know whatever it is that you might be eating and you're just like hey what happens okay what happens when i reintroduce that food and then you think about it with movement you're like well what am i doing every day and and when i do that how does it how does my body respond oh i'm in more pain every time i go for a run okay cool well let's look at that take it out see what happens and that for me was a game changer because it was golf essentially that's caused a lot of my issues and then training around that that mechanic and uh you know it only took me so far and i think that so people with chronic illness are usually quite good at identifying some of their triggers, but but not always. Mm. And then it can sometimes feel hard because you feel like you're giving up everything that you love yeah. and you feel like shit. And so how was it for you giving up golf, to, even though you knew it was for the greater good? Well, I had a, a conversation with my practitioner at the time. And I said, like, because I was trying to join a golf club um, just after after we kind of came out of lockdown here, I'd gone on my own as a trainer and seen some success with what I was doing. And, you know, things were looking a lot better in my life. And I was like, right, I'm going to get back to playing golf because it's good time for me. You know, it's, it's me time. It's Brendan time. It's, there's no distractions. I'm focusing on something I enjoy. And yeah, I was like, what if I just carry on playing and we work around it? And he said, look, we can do that. But the chances are, with your spiraling at the moment, we're going to be trying to fix everything every week. And there's levels to this, right? So like I was quite, you know, he hadn't seen someone with my level of shifting in my rib cage. Like my ribs just shift left even now as I sit here. If I get too kind of unconscious, my ribs will just shift into that pattern. I notice you're like, you're like no, picking yourself up in your chair. Um, <laughs> so, so I was like, well, okay, Brendan, look, let's put a pin in it for now and let's make an agreement you know this is all happening in my head by the way i'm actually you know wasn't talking to myself out loud or anything i was saying let's make an agreement that for the next five years maybe 10 you just focus on getting really really good at your mechanics and you focus on getting much better and you test every now and then to see if you can do it and you, you see what happens and you sacrifice your time on the golf course for the sake of just fixing your body and see what happens and if you lose three years and you're still in a bad way and you, you still want to play golf then just 
take some painkillers and go and play golf. <laughs> you know, that was my deal. I was like, look, just do it. But what if, what if you are so knowledgeable and so well-rounded by the time you pick up the golf clubs again that you don't have to worry about it? And then that was the bargaining chip. It was like, okay, cool. Let's see how far this goes. And yesterday, funnily enough, I played the first round of golf in two years and I'm pain-free. So, And how does that feel? It feels good, I have to say. However, I'm also like, okay, cool. Let's not celebrate. Let's just, you know, because I have been in the past guilty of doing things. Now, today, when I woke up, my shoulder on my, you won't see this if you're listening, uh, my left shoulder was pinned backwards. So my scapula and my, my ribs, when I woke up, I was pinned and my pain level when I woke up on my rib cage it felt like someone was just pulling me backwards on my left side and had been doing it for the entire night. Now, I know that that's my tendency. So I was able to remedy that straight away and that's all good. But if I, let's say, went and hit a hundred golf balls today, probably not a good idea. So there's swings and roundabouts. Like I could probably play once a week now and not have an issue. And and that's probably what I'll, I'll end up doing over time. But I kind of almost want to think, well, how much further can I go with this before I know that I can play all day, every day and not have a problem? Yeah, and because that could take a long time. It could, but think about it like this, right? If if you think it takes roughly, and this was just stats back in the day when I was playing golf at a, at a reasonable level, it takes a roughly about 300 repetitions of an exercise quite well to ingrain that behavior in the muscle or in, in the tissue. So if I then think back to being like on this mission when I was 15, 16, up to maybe 25, um, 26 of hitting like a hundred golf balls a day, well, that's, that's a lot of reps, you know, that's a lot of reps. And then it's like, well, to undo those reps, how many more reps do I have to do to override that pattern of behavior and that pattern of movement? I don't know. I don't know the answer, but I'm going to, I'm going to try and find out. <laughs> I'm not counting all my reps, though. I'm, I'm, I'm freestyling it. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, is there anything else you want to share about functional patterns specifically? My, my sense of it is it's kind of like somatics. Everybody always asks me to explain somatics. I'm like, you just have to experience it. Yeah. Um, so it, would you say functional patterns is pretty similar? I would say that the way I would put it to people, if they're kind of trying to understand what it is or, or, or how it would work is if you, if you imagine that for the most part with every client um, that comes on board or with every person that comes into functional patterns, it starts with a sort of let's take stock and release any tension and tightness and let's really understand you know, where the, the, the pain points are. And and we'll use myofascial release, um, or you know, as as a as a way to do that. So you become your own little examiner, and you you basically poke yourself around the body, roll your body out, and you find the points in your body that are the most tender. And from that point there, you can then start to think about the corrective exercises within the functional patterns catalog of exercises. Let's call it that. It's not really a catalog, but within the the realm of functional patterns and say, right, okay, these exercises here are corrective exercises and we're going to focus on getting really good at those. And so you end up with this sort of releasing and correcting, and you might bounce between the two for a little while. And then 
at a certain point, you need to use those corrective exercises and test with dynamic movement. So for example, you might be doing a plank and you might be honing in on your tilting of your pelvis and your rib cage and where your how how inflated your 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 ribs are so you'll be using those elements and what you know to correct your positioning and then you might think right i'm going to go for a walk and see how the plank work that i've done over the last few weeks has affected my posture as i stand example um there's obviously other dynamic exercises you can do like running throwing or going to I don't know, do something that you normally do. Maybe it's a sport. Um, so that's the kind of way it, it works um, on a fundamental level. But in practice, it really is a case of A, like you say, experiencing it uh, and B, becoming um, interested in in kind of learning the behaviors of your body in an unconscious state. And they talk, you know, often would talk about it a, a sort of a hier- uh, the hierarchy of competence or the competence hierarchy, you know, unconscious incompetence is where a lot of people live when it comes to movement. And you're just trying to get people to a conscious competence stage before you start really throwing things at them. Um, because if someone's aware of their body and, and what they do with the habits that they formed with their movement, then they're in much they're in a much better place to be competent in in correcting it. And once that cycles carries on, you become unconsciously competent. And that's when you look at someone like, I don't know, Katie Holmes um, or, you know, someone like Usain Bolt or, or a, a very good athletic specimen. They are just consciously competent of moving. Um, and that's how I kind of try to explain it without getting you to experience it. <laughs> yeah, that, no, that's a good explanation. And we we talked about this actually a little bit at the beginning of the episode, but sort of circling back. And I was one of the things um, you know we did an assessment together a few months ago, and mm. um, one of the things I said to you at the time was like, "Oh, I wish I had started this a year ago with you," because mm. when I when I was kind of ready to exercise again, bar walking, you know, I started to do just go back to the same movement patterns that I knew from the gym, and I think. To a certain extent, that was helpful because it was familiar and it felt like something I could control and manage. And you know, mm. I wasn't overwhelming myself with anything new. But there is still a part of me that's like, what if I had had access to, I didn't even know about this at the time, but what if I had had access to this to kind of reestablish my body from mm. the ground up? And um, because my understanding is it can be gentle and it can be slow and it's small movements and finely yeah. tuned movements. And um, I think that kind of, that's kind of ideal for somebody who has maybe become very deconditioned because of mm. their health. Would yeah. you, would you agree that it would be a really great way for somebody who's, who's now ready to start exercising again, to begin to build themselves up in, in all the right ways? Yeah, definitely. I mean, what got me, I mean, what you got to remember about me is, is that when I started it, I was in a a five out of 10 with medication. And within seven weeks, I was not on any medication. I was still taking some THC, um, some not THC, some CBD oil at the time. But, you know, I wouldn't count that as like a cocodamol strength or naproxen strength of, of, of painkiller. But I, I was, I was basically, I could run five kilometers within a seven uh, a seven week period after just stopping what I was doing essentially. Now, what I was doing was you know shifting patterns and all that kind of stuff. But to we slowed everything down. I mean, in my first session, I think I was standing 
I was kneeling um, and then I was on my back breathing and that was it. And it was like, cool, what happened? You know, as a practitioner, I know what he was trying to do with me. But in, in practice, I was like, uh, I came out the the studio at the time and Kate was like, how did that go? I was like, yeah, I was like ready to track my workout with my watch. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, oh my gosh, that was so not what I expected. And then it it kind of evolved from there. And and this is kind of, I'm digging here because I know I'm going to start this journey with you shortly. And um, how long did it take you to kind of begin to feel like you were actually doing a little bit more, like something like a workout that was worth tracking perhaps? I think because I was in such a bad way with my patterns of shifting and my practitioner was um, hyper aware of how, how I could react, it took about four or five weeks maybe before I was I was starting to work on things that were like, hey, we're moving from one leg to another now. And in hindsight, looking back at those, because we recorded a lot of my sessions, looking back at them, it didn't seem and didn't feel as like I was doing very much. But now doing the same exercises, it's just incredible how, how hard you can find it. And what you got to remember, and did you mention this in your previous podcast about chess players and the calories they burn whilst playing chess? Yeah, I, I listened did, to that yeah. one. Yeah. So that is case in point. Imagine having to think about five or six different parts of your body all at the same time whilst trying to execute a movement. Imagine how many calories you burn when you're doing that. And my weight and my 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 body fat percentage nothing has changed from doing very you know at the time very little um, and i wanted changed. to ask um did you lose muscle mass or did you think did you maintain or even build the muscle mass you had that because that's one of my fears <laughs> <laughs> um no and um i didn't lose muscle mass i have gained muscle mass um in some respects what you've got to think about is actually the more athletic someone is, the easier this process becomes. So like, let's say if someone's got an athletic background, it, it's a little bit easier in the sense of seeing positional fixes. So, you know, because your muscles are a little bit more aware of what's going on. Um, if you've got someone who's never really trained and they don't have any connection to their transverse abdominus or their, their core muscles, it takes a little bit longer. But essentially, if you think about, you know, movement, very good movers have got this sort of tone in their muscles. Let's call it tone because everyone loves that word. But the tone in your muscle is essentially a defining factor in the, the elastic response that it has. So for example, if I, if I move my bicep, well, how much does my tricep reciprocate? And that reciprocal inhibition, it needs to be to a length potential that isn't going to switch the muscle off. Which is I think you've lost. Happens. I think if you lost me, so you've lost okay, everybody cool. else probably. So, so essentially, think of it like this: like if you're in pain, a lot of people say to stretch. All right, stretch, stretch, which is cool because it can help you quite a lot. Stretching can help a lot of people. However, the thing about stretching is if it's passive stretching, um, where you're hanging or you're kind of just dangling or you're forcing your body into a position, what can end up happening is you switch off 
the um, the body's response system. So we all know, like if you've done any personal training stuff back in the day, you had like a PNF stretch, which was essentially you take the muscle to its length and then you 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 rest it and then you take it further. Well, over time, that process can actually change the way that your brain and that muscle talk to each other, right? So if your brain has learned to relax a muscle because you're in pain or you're you're too tired or you know, for one reason or another, you're not using the muscle in the right way, you will lose the length potential in the muscle, or you might lose contractile potential in the muscle. So in order to maintain and get toned and build muscle mass, you actually need to operate within a realm where you don't end up taking them to the extreme limits of length and extreme limits of contraction all the time is the best way to describe it. So when people see someone who who's toned up, essentially their muscles function in a way that is is well oriented in a ratio perspective if that makes sense it kind of does but okay. i think it's, i think i think i'll just trust you on this one it, yeah so just 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 know that like you can overstretch an elastic band right to a point where it hasn't got any tensegrity in it yeah so right. tensegrity yeah so tensegrity is is what you should look up really is because your 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 bones are held in place by the tensegrity of your of your fascia and your muscles so if there's a kink in your slinky as i call it your slinky's not going to go down the stairs very well yeah. um but if your kink isn't that bad or maybe it's just a bit of a blip you can fix it quite quickly and to answer your question again yes you you will see a lot of people gain muscle mass and and when i say gain i'm not talking like you know we're talking keeping their tone keeping their yeah. shape gaining the necessary muscle mass to be healthy exactly. not like massive yeah. i think that was a thing that was really important to me because i lost so much muscle mass being unwell yeah. just from um i've spoken about it on the podcast before but like i had chronic diarrhea basically for like two years i just wasn't mm. absorbing my food and then not moving so that's mm. like just a recipe for muscle mass loss so yeah I've worked really hard over the past year to to reestablish <laughs> to my muscle yeah. mass, and that's always one of the fears. Is like, will I lose it? But you've just put you just put me at ease, which is great. I am conscious of the time, so yeah, no I'm worries. just wondering if there's anything else you want to share about the functional pattern specifically. Anything that may be relevant for this type of audience for this podcast specifically, or just just anything else that you feel it's important to share today. I mean. Obviously, like being a practitioner, my way of thinking is, you know, I, I have to naturally, we're all in this for, you know, as a job. <laughs> so it pays the bills. Um, so I do have my company, Raw Motion Fitness, and I use exclusive functional patterns, uh, methods and methodologies. Um, there are hundreds, if not thousands of practitioners out there in the world. So don't feel like Brendan's the oracle. Um, by any stretch of the imagination, I am I'm I'm a part of it, um, and there are some highly skilled practitioners out there, highly highly skilled. They are on the functional patterns website. If people are like, well, I need to find one near me, and if if there is anyone needs the help um, and can't get anywhere, there are online options, which is something that you know I'm launching. Um, you're going to be part of the the fundamentals program and. I've identified that the 10-week online course, if you extrapolate what the content is in there, you could probably use that material for about three years worth of your training. Wow. That's the functional patterns stuff. And for a, lar for a large 
proportion of the population, that could be a stumbling block. That could be like, oh my gosh, that seems like a really big investment of time. And so what I've what I'm doing with this fundamentals plan is taking the information from there and kind of guiding people and saying, look, you know, what is it that functional patterns talk about? And how can it help you? And how can we get you there so that you don't feel like you have to just rely on a video screen with some guy on a pre-recorded video? Um, but I can reference that within my training. So I feel like I'm I'm kind of, you know, using my knowledge of it to help me out, but at the same time help other people out. And that sits well with me on a values front. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, you know, kind of just thinking about what people need, most people need some sort of level of personalized input. You know, mm. there's in, in all different industries, there's loads of different courses and things out there that people can buy. I know that I've got little courses and stuff on my website, but I think there's so much more magic that happens when you do have that just like little degree of personalization to help people take all the information, understand what's really relevant and mm. applicable to them. And I think yeah. that's what you're doing with your fundamentals program is, is a small element of that one-on-one input and then the, the long-term ongoing support of the group mm. environment and the two together just um, set people up for success at a fairly affordable rate. Yeah. And I think that's the key, you know, it's, how do you help people without that, you know, the, the pain and, and fatigue and chronic conditions, like how that can be a lonely place. That can be such a lonely place. You're preaching to like, the choir. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. You, you know, and, and it can be a long road for some people, but it can be a short road for others. And I've never found, you know, I've never found like a commonality within people that I've worked with, um, particularly in, in the last, you know, a couple of years intensely working with biomechanics. It's like some people you can do something with them and it's like, nah, nothing happens. Then you do something else and it's like the lights come on and everything works. Yeah. I've forgotten why I was saying that, but, um, but being in a lonely personalization, place. Yeah. 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 So uh, that personalization, you could, you know, we're a searchlight essentially. Like that's what I feel like my job is, is like, I'm going to search for the right things for you. I'm going to tell you to go and do them. And then when you do them and you keep doing them, you're going to feel amazing. And how cool is that? And they're like, oh my God, there's someone who's telling me it's possible to achieve this. Like amazing. Um, that's where I'm at with it. You know? Yeah. I, I resonate with that so much as well. Even in my job with the fatigue is just, there's so many different things that people have going on in their lives and you are kind of scanning. Okay. What are the things for this unique person that they need to do to optimize themselves but yeah. it's it's different for everyone yeah that was such um, a good chat brendan yeah, um, yeah thank you i feel like i could talk for more but uh, i know it's, it's so it's easy fine. to listen to you so i could yeah. let you keep on going forever but um i think we should probably start to wrap up a little bit yeah, and no, that's is fine. there anything else you want to share i always just you know anything else that's coming to mind that you think are important think is important otherwise you can um tell people how they can find you yeah no the 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 biggest thing i'd say to people is that the lessons i've learned in the last 3 years in particular is patience and diligence and just that that level of it will pay off you just got to give things time and having patience and not rushing yeah it might suck but it's worth it um so that's the first bit uh secondly people can reach me out uh reach out to me on instagram uh raw motion fitness is my handle at raw motion fitness um and uh my website's rawmotionfitness.com 
if they want to check out some of the stuff we do there. New program is is almost I've got an email you later as well, by the way. Um, so there's there's all that rolling out, which is cool. And hopefully that can reach, you know, it's an online specific program. So it's all about helping people around the world as well as in the UK. So that's really cool. Other than that, yeah, just go and explore and ask the right questions or ask questions until you find the answers. You know, that's the thing. Ask or find better questions. questions to ask. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's good but yeah apart from that everything's cool and uh, hopefully this has helped someone today I'm sure it's helped many people today it's been so wonderful having you here and um, chatting with you I'm just about to start the fundamentals program with you very soon and I'm sure we'll do a little update on my own journey um, at some point in time together TBC but yeah just thank you again and um, it's been such a pleasure we'll speak Mm -hmm. to you all soon in the next episode